we we spent months going through a series called Soul Care and Freedom, where the goal of that series was to have our souls healed up, touched by the Lord, strengthened by God, so that we could walk in freedom. Jesus said, it is for free that I have set you free. We have been set free by the work, the completed work of Jesus Christ. We are free. One of the saddest things I can think of is someone who was once free to be made captive once again. To go to bondage once again. And that is not what God has for us. When we read the book of Galatians, Paul is adamant on this point. When, when you're in Galatians, you need to, to add some like fervor in the tone in which you're reading this thing because Paul's not saying, oh, why have you gone back? Why have you gone back to those ways of bondage? Paul's going, what are you doing? Why have you gone back? You're free now. Be free. Walk in freedom. Don't go back. Don't go back to ways of life that that put you in chains and that, that just wrap your hearts in bondage. Be free. We see this in Galatians 4, 8 through 9. Paul speaking and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves... You want to be once more discouraged and frustrated by the church going back to old ways. Paul then says in verse 11, I am afraid I labored over you in vain. I mean, can you just sense the discouragement? I'm afraid that the time I spent was for naught, it was in vain. Don't go back to bondage. Don't go back to bondage. Jesus did it all. He paid the price so that we could be free. We have to agree with that work. We have to agree with the completed work of Jesus and walk in freedom. Today I'll be talking about a specific type of bondage that Jesus paid the price for so that we could walk in freedom, but many of us are not entirely free. Today I'm going to talk about being poor toward God. Last week the name of my message was Rich Toward God, and I talked about generosity and a spirit of generosity. I mentioned that the things that we can be generous with that we can also be greedy, we can also be stingy with. Today I'm talking about poor toward God. And when I'm talking about being poor toward God, I'm talking about buying into a lie. Buying into a lie of this mindset, this influence, and this spirit of poverty. Luke 4.33, I want to read this passage and just kind of unpack it real quick. 
Luke 4.33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. The spirit of an unclean demon. That word spirit is the word pneuma. And it has, has a lot of different meanings. And this is the one that's, that's being referenced in this. The spirit of an unclean demon is the influence which fills and governs the soul. Okay, that's how it's translated. So the influence of an ungodly spirit that tries to fill our souls with junk, with bondage, with things that, that contradict the work of Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles um, or your Bible apps on your devices, please um, turn to Matthew chapter 25. And what I want to read is what I see as our scriptural example of this spirit of poverty. Now, when I talk about a spirit of poverty, I want to make something abundantly clear of what I'm not talking about. Okay. When I talk about, you know, the spirit of poverty, it's a lowercase s. Okay. It's a lowercase s. It's, it's, an, it's a mindset. I'm not talking about some big, daunting, omnipotent, uh, all-powerful, 90-foot genie like Fladden or anything. I'm not talking about something that, oh, it's the spirit of poverty. And the spirit of poverty is so strong, he's able to influence all of your lives. He ain't Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the influence of death, the influence of the work of Satan that it comes against us to have us walk in bondage and in death. So Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus is telling a story and he says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them to his property. To one... He gave five talents. He gave five measures. You know, whatever you want to take that to be. You know, form of, of money, but, but it could be, let's just, it's a form of measurement. And he gave five to this servant. To another, he gave two. And to another, he gave one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. He doubled it. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. So again, he doubled the investment of the master. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. We'll stop right there. Each man were given responsibility. Each man were given talents. By the master. Each men were entrusted with the care and the multiplication of those valuable assets, gifts, talents, resources that the master had given. One got five, one got two, one got one. And all three were honored with what the master gave them. All three. It was an honor. It was an honor. Let's not look at the five, the two, and the one. It was an honor. It was a sign of trust. It was a sign of responsibility. 
We shouldn't get swept up in the five and the two and the one. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us swept up with the measurement against one another. That's not, that's not kingdom. That's not kingdom of God. Two men, they doubled their investments. The one with the five, high capacity person doubled, five more. The one with the two, same thing, doubled it. The one with the one measly talent responded out of fear. Possibly out of offense. We can we can see it, we can see it, we can read into that. One measly talent. Hit it. Didn't invest it, didn't even put it into a crummy account where it's yielding horrible interest. Nothing. Hit it. The master came back. And the end of the story is pretty predictable. The master commends the one who he gave five, who doubled it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trusted with much. I want to trust you with more. Says the exact same words to the person he gave two with. Exact same words. Doesn't elevate that person any less, praise that person any less. Exact same words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were trustworthy with what I gave you. The servant who buried the talent called wicked and lazy. The servant who was given the one talent, we see this as our scriptural example of the spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty causes us to do things based out of fear, of resentment, out of a lack of gratitude. It influences our actions. It influences our mindset. The spirit of poverty is a mindset of poverty. And here's the thing. A rich person can have a spirit of poverty. This isn't limited to wealth. A rich person can have a spirit of poverty. This mindset, this influence steals and it kills and it destroys Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest, more abundantly. That influence of of poverty, that mindset of poverty, it darkens dreams. It kills plans. And it aims to destroy the future of its victims. So let's talk about money briefly. Profit is not a sin. Profit is not carnal. Money is not evil. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is good. Money is is needed. Money is needed in what we're doing to advance the kingdom of God, to do the things that God has called us to. There needs to be a flow of resources into and out of and through this place. Now it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It is not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of it. And this is about the condition of our heart. See, I say it all the time. God is far less interested with our behavior than he is our heart. He cares about the heart. See, the behavior, those are symptoms of something that's going on in the heart. He cares about the heart. 
We make mistakes by judging the behavior instead of saying, no, what's needed is a touch of the heart, an embrace of the heart. Jesus cares about the heart. When we're talking about this today, this is about a condition of the heart that we need to make bare to the Lord. God's kingdom embraces prosperity, not poverty. It's, it's not this... Sometimes we, we make this religious badge of honor out of poverty. We say, look at how, how humble I am. I'm poor. I'm super spiritual. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just need to get another job. Sometimes we just need to work a bit harder. Sometimes we need to pray in that, that blessing that God has for us. Sometimes we need to see the fulfillment of what God has and stop settling for, for crumbs. Those who walk, now hear me, those who walk under the influence of poverty and over this poverty mindset can never fully live up to their potential. And here's the reason why. God has called us to be givers. He's called us to be generous. He has called us to scatter seed, like just hilariously, seed, scatter, seed, scatter, without just, just flinging seed. Some ends up on the path. Some ends up in good soil. Some ends getting eaten up. Some's getting choked out. But we're called to be scatterers of seed. God wants us blessed so that we can be in blessing. He even said, ask, ask me for more, for more seed so that you can be a blessing, so that you can give it away. This one talent servant did not walk in the fulfillment of God, of what God had for him. We, we miss the, the point that the master trusted the man with a measure of his kingdom. Okay, it wasn't five. Okay, it wasn't two. Big, deep. The master, Jesus, trusted this servant with a portion of his kingdom and said, multiply it. Bring multiplication. Bring life. And that person buried it. That is not fulfillment of destiny. That is not fulfillment of what God has called us to. I like this. I, I'm, I'm feeling fired up. I am. A poverty spirit is not being poor in spirit. The Bible talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty spirits, there ain't no blessing to it. Two totally different things. Poor in spirit speaks to humility. Poor in spirit speaks to a brokenness that acknowledges the fixer. A brokenness that acknowledges the healer. That's poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And a poverty spirit is not necessarily being poor financially. It's bigger than this. And we need to grab a hold of this. Paul went through seasons. Philippians 4.13, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. 
If we, if we see prior to that, Paul said, I know what it is to have jack. I know what it is to have nothing. And I know what it is to have abundance. And this I've learned through all of this I've walked through. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. He was talking about money. There's seasons. There's seasons where, where like, I got bupkis. It just... That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we're the victim of a spirit of poverty. That just means some seasons are lean. That's the honest truth. That's the honest truth. Some seasons are lean. God will use it if we'll, if we'll trust Him with it. If we'll dialogue with the Lord, He'll use that season of, of lack. And then we'll see His faithfulness and provision. God is faithful. A poverty spirit is this. It's rejecting the sufficiency of God. That poverty mindset is rejecting. It's burying the sufficiency of God. Psalm 23.1. We don't really know it as Psalm 23.1. We know it as the 23rd Psalm, right? 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd... I what? I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. He is sufficient. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack for nothing. I will want for nothing. He is enough for me. My God is more than enough. No matter what I'm walking through, my God is more than enough. He's my shepherd. And he's wonderful. And I am sufficient in Him because sufficiency is enough for me. Let's let God personalize this. I am your shepherd and you shall not want. That's what He says to us. I am your shepherd and you shall not want. But Lord, I'm going through something that no one else is. Guys, we are definitely under the influence of a poverty spirit if that becomes our mindset, whether we constantly make ourselves the victim, whether we constantly make ourselves the exception. But Lord, I'm going through something no one else is. Lord, I'm going through a hardship that no one else is walking out. Lord, I don't know anybody who's doing the things, who's, who's ha- enduring the hardships I am. 100%, that is under the influence of that, that mindset of poverty. That is rejecting the sufficiency of God. Because that, that's not allowing God to be big enough for your life and your circumstance. You remember Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if... You might be a redneck if you own a homemade fur coat. You might be a redneck. So I'm going to do a list of you might be under the influence of that spirit of poverty if, and, I, and, and in all seriousness. So here's what I want to encourage you guys. Don't take notes on this. If you want notes, text me, hit me up, and I'll send you my notes. I'll do it before I leave today. I'll send you my notes. But I don't want you writing down a bunch of notes and missing some of these things. And I imagine that as I go through this, and I'm not trying to hit every person. It's just, I mean, that's not my intention. It's just going to. Some of the stuff's going to hit home. Some of the stuff's going to go, ooh, and that's okay. Just don't let it, don't, don't let the enemy have any room with it. 
because later on I'm going to have another list. It's how to walk in freedom. Because the point of this is you are free, so walk in freedom. The point of this is Jesus paid for your freedom, so don't despise that, that gift that he gave us and that freedom-fighting effort and start walking in bondage and the spirit of, of, of poverty, the influence and the mentality of poverty is bondage. So you might be under the spirit of poverty, the influence of that spirit, if you are often jealous of what other people have. If you believe that happiness is a destination and not a journey. You know what I mean by that? Well, someday I'll be happy. Someday, blank. See, happiness isn't a destination. That's not life and life to the fullest. Life abundant is I get to walk with joy right now despite the storm. I get to sleep with peace despite the waves. It's not, Lord Jesus, please take me to the side safely. It's, Lord, I am safe in your arms because you're in control. You might be under that influence of poverty spirit. If you resent when something good happens to someone else, even just a little bit, if we can't celebrate each other's victories, that's the, that's the spirit of poverty. Why? Because it's a lie of the enemy to make something about you when it has nothing to do with you. If my sister has a victory, if my sister has hits a home run, I celebrate that. If I can't celebrate that, I need to hit my knees and I need to repent and say, Lord, something yucky has gotten inside and I want it gone. Why can't I celebrate my sister and her success? If my brother gets a, a raise and a promotion and I can't fully celebrate it because I'm making it about me, that is the, that's the epitome of the spirit of poverty. If we can't look and see God's faithfulness and say, I love that God is so faithful in the life of my friend and celebrate that, that's bondage. That's bondage. Lord, I just get it. I just feel such a heaviness. Lord, I, I just feel like there's something awkward like on my shoulder. And I just don't get it. Lord, I'm not comfortable. And I just, I, I was like, yeah, that's because there's something awkward and uncomfortable on your shoulder. Well, Lord, would you take it? He's like, would you set it down? Can we meet halfway and you just give it to me? But I'm not going to take it. Would you give it to me? If we can't celebrate each other's victories, if we can't celebrate the fact that we see the faithfulness of God in each other's lives, that is bondage. We've got to set it down. And we got to give it to God. If when, I, if when I told you that I was going to Boston and you didn't celebrate that moment and something wrote other than celebration, that's the enemy. Plain and simple. That, that's that influence of the spirit of poverty. If someone tells you they got a raise and you haven't gotten a raise in, in 10 years and so you immediately 
don't have a sense of excitement for that person, that is, that is part of the influence of a spirit of poverty. And you need to run to the Lord. And give it to Him. And, and even repent. There's got to be change. And, and it starts with that changing of our mind that results in a changing of our action. That metanoia. I got a long list. If I haven't got you yet, I'm going to get you. Never seem to be content. See, when, when Christ is sufficient for me, I'm content. That Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in lack. I know what it is to be, to be wealthy. I can go through either one as long as my Jesus is with me. I can endure either one as long as I have Christ walking with me. Are you pessimistic about your future? Are you pessimistic about your future? That's under the influence of that. Because see, as, as followers of Christ, we've got a bright inheritance. And our, we get to walk with Christ now. You're never alone. You're never alone. We have access to the presence of God anytime we want, as long as we realize, oh, you're here. To the goodness of God, He withholds no good thing from us. You lack wisdom? Easy. Ask. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe He's going to give it to you. That's what James says. You lack wisdom? I get it. Sometimes I lack wisdom. Ask God for it. But here's the answer. You've got to believe He's going to give it to you. then when He gives it to you, you've got to act upon it and respond. Do you constantly struggle with your finances? Do you sometimes wallow in self-pity saying, if only. If only I had caught that touchdown pass when I was in high school. I'd have been discovered by Stanford. What a great school Stanford is. A degree from Stanford says a lot. I would have gotten a great job. I'd have met Bill Gates. He probably just would have given me money. If only I would have caught that touchdown pass. If only I'd have got that raise. If only I had the opportunities that Andy had. He has opportunities I've never had. If only I'd married that other person from that really good family. If only. You, oh my gosh, you guys. Regrets? Regrets? I, I can't think of few um, things that I think are more anti-kingdom of God than regret. We live our lives through the wideness, the bigness of the windshield, of looking forward. We don't look at it through the narrowness of the, the rearview mirror. Regret is not a kingdom principle. Blow it. We're still not supposed to hold on to regret. We live our lives with hope. Because there's a future and there's a promise and we are heirs. Do you find that you speak sarcastically about people who have more than you do? Do you find that you speak sarcastically about the wealthy? That's not kingdom. That's under the influence of the spirit of poverty. 
Do you make your decisions based on fear? Folks, is there anyone that remembers just people that went, that went through the depression? They went through the depression, and so now they, they save everything. They took everything aside. They reuse everything. And not, not necessarily out of a, a frugality that's necessarily positive, but out of what? Fear. What if? What I, I need this, whatever this is, because what if there's another crash and I have nothing all over again? And living our lives based on fear, that's not kingdom. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. It's control. Do you focus on what you don't have rather than what you do have? Do you try to keep up papers by living beyond your means? Are you a hoarder? That kind of goes back to that. That's what I was just talking about. Do you find yourself spending most of your spare time and money on entertainment? Now, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. But if it's an escape, if it's, a, if it's an escape that we go to to forget about how crummy our life is, it, that's not kingdom either. And I've been guilty of that. And anything can be an escape. Anything can be an escape that we're running to outside of Jesus meant to forget. You don't have a financial plan for your life, but you often find yourself daydreaming about winning the lottery. Why don't we have a financial plan? If we want to live our lives generously, if we want to live our lives where we are givers, why don't we have a financial plan? Why aren't we being responsible and good stewards of what God's given us? Have you stopped taking care of the things that you do have? Have you stopped taking care of your house because it, why bother? It's just not big enough. Have you stopped taking care of your car because it's just a hunk of rusted bolts? Have you stopped taking care of your body because I'm just a big fatty anyway? Lie, 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 lie. None of that's kingdom. None of that's Christ-centered. This is this attack of influence is all about being self-focused. It is. It's about being self-focused. I'll say self-focused because it really sounds ten times nicer than being self-centered. Sarah, Sarah preached on this. Christ isn't just the center of our life. He's the entirety of our life. If you've said yes to more than one of the above, then you might be influenced by the poverty spirit. Which means that that attack is trying to fill and govern your soul with something that's not God. God wants us to walk in what? Freedom. Freedom. So ways to break free 
from the spirit of, of poverty. Let's do something real quick. Deep breath. Okay. If we have things on that list, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to carry them? Are we going to beat ourselves up with them? Are we going to focus on them? Are we going to leave this place discouraged? We've we got to do something. We've got to do something with them. And we've got to make a change. And we've got to make a break. And there has to be agreement with God. We've got to recognize the lies. And we've got to move forward with what God wants for us. So now let's list ways to break free. Number one, this is so powerful. Do not minimize this. Do not take this lightly. This is powerful. Number one, be a thankful person. Be a thankful person. Lord, I thank you for your blessings. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. Lord, I thank you for this rusty bucket of bolts and it is still running. I thank you it's still running. I thank you it doesn't stink anymore because I found that cheeseburger underneath the seat. <laughs> but I thank you for my home. But I thank you that I have a home. But I thank you that when I lay my head down at the night, you give me rest. Even if I don't have a bed, even if it's this makeshift cot on the floor, Lord, I thank you that you give me rest. Beautiful person. Sing and say and meditate on the Psalms of Thanksgiving, such as Psalms 86, 12 through 13. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love to me. You delivered my soul from the depths of death. Parents, teach your kids to be thankful. Number two, be a good steward of what God has already given you. Take inventory. What has He given you? Not just stuff. Not just stuff. Please hear me. Take inventory of what he's given you. And I'm not just talking about stuff. Am I a good steward of... Am I, Mark Harper, a good steward of this woman, Kara Harper? Because he, he's given her to me. That's my bride. Am I a good steward of this relationship? Am I a good steward? He's given me three children. Am I good stewards? He's given me an adorable little dog. Am I a good steward of that adorable little dog? He's given me spiritual gifts. Am I a good steward of those gifts? He's given me a wonderful home. Am I a good steward of that home? He's given me a 2004 expedition. Am I a good steward of that 2004 Ford expedition? Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're supposed to be good stewards of everything we have and of everything we hope to be. 
I'm to be a good steward of everything I hope to be. If I truly believe that God has given me a destiny and a purpose, I have to live my life according to the belief that He has given me a destiny and a purpose. I've got to steward vision. I've got to spend time with the Lord so that that, that vision is ever becoming more and more clear because He's laid out something for me. Elijah, He's laid out something for you. You've got to be a good steward of what God has given you. If you believe He's got a future and a purpose and a destiny for you, what are you going to do with that? Because if you believe it, it requires action to demonstrate that you believe it. Be a good steward of your time. We're not going to read it because I'm running out of time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It talks about being a good steward of your time. Be a good steward of the people God has given you. I will read 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. It's just so awesome. It's wonderful. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us got to be stewards of the relationships we have. Parents, you got to be a good steward of your kids. Alright, so the, the, the be a good steward, that was two. All that two. Two A, two B, two C. Now we're at number three. Be content. I'm still motivated. I'm still ambitious, but I'm content. I'm content. It is well with my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you're taking notes, Hebrews 13.5, you'll have to go there later. And then Ephesians 1.3, they both talk about being content. Number four, confront it head on. I'm telling you, Paul expressed frustration in Galatians, but Paul, but Paul is from the south, and I am from the south, And I tell you what, it will absolutely drive me bonkers if you hear this message, if God is speaking this message to you and and shining the light on you that you are under the influence of this spiritual uh, spirit of poverty and you do nothing with it. I don't want to like throw out superlatives or like, man, I'd be so mad. When God shines the light on the things that He wants to bring freedom to and we're in bondage and we we continue to be in bondage, that is frustrating. If the Lord is hiding things in your life today, then run to Him. Church doesn't end when I do the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make us... It doesn't end at that point. You go home and you say, Lord, thank you that you've shone the light on some things. I come to you with it. I repent, Lord. I run to you. You confront it head on. You don't ignore it. You repent of it. You change your mind. You change your self-image. And we make sure that our identity is in Christ. I knew I was going to get fired up with this message. I'm like, be cool, Mark. Be cool. Cool went out the window like 15 minutes ago. Number five. Choose to believe that God actually wants to bless you. Choose to believe that. He wants to bless you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. Choose to believe that. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please Him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and must believe that He rewards those who seek Him. Believe that resources are always available for anything God has called you to. And, and hear, hear what, I, what I said, what God has called you to. What God has called you to, He will finance. What God has called you to, His resources are available. If He calls you to plant a church, I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know how He's going to provide the resources. I don't know. But I, I just tell you this. If He's called you to plant a church, He will provide everything you need. And I say that personally because we didn't know we didn't know how to plant a church. And Al didn't know how to plant a church. We were a parachute drop model of our church plant. That's the honest truth. There's a model called the parachute drop where they take an offering for you and they're like, Good luck! It's, a, it, I, I'm le, it's legit. That was our church plant model because none of us had any experience on doing this. We didn't know we were doing it. I was like, man, I want to pray for you. Uh, and here's an offering. And, and we're going to bless you and, and I'm here for you. We don't know how to... Here's a good book. I, mean, I don't know. Whatever God calls us to, He's faithful to finance those things, to provide. Number six, commit to actively saving and seeing your savings grow. Proverbs thirteen eleven. I can't even believe this is in the Bible. It's so relevant. Proverbs thirteen eleven in the New Living says, "Wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears." Wealth from hard work grows over time. You might be a redneck if you've ever financed a tattoo. That's the last one, I promise. That's the last one. But that's funny. That's funny. All right, number seven. Completely rid yourself of any bias against or judgment of rich people or people who have more than you. You guys, that's not Christ. If we have a bias towards someone just because they're successful, that is not Jesus. That is not grace. And we've got to rid ourselves. And again, how do we rid ourselves? Repent. Lord, I changed my mind that I have agreed with that. I'm, I, Lord, I changed my mind and I repent. Lord, that I have said these things and acted this way. And Number eight. I want this one to stick. Say these words with me after I say it. Speak words of life. Speak words of life. Speak words of life. Not death. Not negativity. Speak words of life. That spirit of poverty, that mindset of poverty, every time, every time someone opens their mouth, that, that influence is putting it in with negativity. I, I love every one of y'all. I love every one of y'all. I, I got too much tolerance for negativity. I just, I'm just being honest, man. I'm a, I'm a man. I know I'm a pastor, but I'm a man, and I'm just telling you, I've got this much tolerance for negativity. I'm a, I'll fake phone call. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. I appreciate that negativity. Hello? What? What? Stella needs me? Okay, Stella needs me. I got to go. Stella's my adorable little dog. I don't have any tolerance for negativity. I don't. Don't judge me. 
I want life. I want to be around people that are speaking life, that are pointing me to Christ, that are reminding me of Scripture, that are reminding me of the goodness of God. I don't want to be around negativity. I have too much negativity. I'm a new creature. I've got a purpose and a destiny. I'm going to quickly. You're, you're not going to like me anyway. You're not going to like it with me anyway because every time you say something negative, I'm going to turn it towards Christ. I want to dismiss what you were saying because that's not truth. What's truth is the goodness of God. You're not going to like hanging out with me anyway. We've got to speak life. And this one's huge. Man, I am, I am so okay. I am so okay if people get upset at this one. My job is not, my job is not to make you feel good. My job is to point you to Christ. And he said some pretty offensive things. He wanted to bring about change in our lives. Baby, I'm going to need lots of smiles and hugs when I'm done with this. Just so you know. Like this, just... Number nine. Throw off the limitations of what God can or cannot do. And what he will or will not do. We got to throw off the limitations of what we think God can do. Well, Mark, I, I so desperately want to believe. But my situation is so hard. Throw off the limitations of what we think God can do. Our God is a really big God. Our God is a really big God. I, I know we put them in these little boxes. And I know our experience says that we've been disappointed, you know, before. So what makes us think that we're not going to be disappointed again? Our God is a really big God. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of that. That goes back to that very first one of being thankful, of singing psalms of thanks, of meditating on psalms of thanks. Remind ourselves of how big God is. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Again, God-given vision is followed by God-given vision. God-given vision is followed by God-given provision. Number 10. Dream big every day. Dream big. No little dreams. If you can accomplish it on your own, then it's not big enough. Because what we should be desiring and what God has put in our heart to believe Him for is bigger than us. Dream big every day. Is a poverty spirit stopping you from fulfilling the will of God on your life? Is the spirit of poverty and that influence of poverty holding you back from fulfilling what God has spoke to you years for years and faithfully and continuously and you finally silenced that because you said, Lord, I don't know how that would ever come about. This is about trust. This is about trusting God. Some of you are called to the nations. 
Some of you, David and Vicky are faithfully going to the nations, just got back from Puerto Rico. Some of you, others of you are called to the nations, but you sit there and go, oh, the plane ticket's this much, and then I got to raise this much support. No, I don't like to bother people with support. And you start disqualifying before you ever say yes to the plan of God. And that is an attack. That is, that is influence of that, that spirit of poverty to keep you from your destiny. Some of you are called to plant churches. I want to tell you what the heart of this eldership team is. We want to plant churches, and we don't want to plant churches on the other t- you know, side of town. We want to plant churches like five miles away, or like four miles away, close enough where that we can still have this con- connection and send resources and and see people walk in fulfillment. That's our heart. I believe there's people in this church called to plant churches. God's going to send people with big callings. And we want to nurture that. Whatever the God-given vision in your life is, God will provide. Deuteronomy 8 makes this awesome statement. It's right in the middle. I don't want to read all of 17 through 19. But it says this, I believe it's verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. If financially you're in a tough spot, or if you're an entrepreneur, God's given you just an entrepreneur's heart, you take this scripture, you write it on your mirror in like an oil pen or grease pen. I mean, you just write this. He gives us power to gain wealth. But here's the thing, guys. God wants us to prosper so that we can be a blessing, so that we can be generous, so that we can live our lives generously. I, I, I'm done. I have so much more. Gosh. If you want those notes, let me know. I'll send it to you. But here's the thing, guys action has to follow this message. As, as I'm sitting there counting notes, I'm like, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep. Okay, no more. No more. No more. That is not me. That is not me. That is the enemy. That is a lie. That is not me. That's a lie. And I recognize it for what it is. And Lord Jesus, I recognize you for who you are as well. I want to pray in just a second, but I want to be adamant in this. If this, if this is hitting home, if this is cooking in the kitchen, you got to do something with it. You got to do something with it. You can't leave here the same way. This, this wasn't a TED talk, man. This, this is a Jesus talk. It's got to be done with it.